Hello, it's Jim Conley, Executive Marketing Manager for Anatomy and Physiology at McGraw-Hill Education, and welcome to Succeed in A&P, a podcast that is dedicated to you, the Anatomy and Physiology Instructor. And on this podcast series, we will feature teaching tips and helpful tactics for teaching anatomy and physiology from instructors all around the country. They each have a unique perspective on teaching A&P, and some of those perspectives might work for you and others may not. Our goal at McGraw-Hill Education is to provide you with the best anatomy and physiology teaching and learning resources, and the podcast will share success stories using these resources. We want to help and inspire you to make your class the absolute best that it can be. And in this podcast, it features my conversation with Steve Sullivan, an anatomy and physiology instructor from Bucks County Community College. And on the podcast, we're going to talk about the subject of anatomy and physiology courses and how you can move them into the online environment. We're going to have some fun along the way, so I hope you enjoy as Steve shares some of his experiences and perspective. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jim Conley, A&P Marketing Manager for McGraw-Hill. I'm here with Steve Sullivan from Bucks County Community College. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, can't complain at all. Hey, thanks for doing this podcast with us today. We have a wonderful topic. It's teaching your A&P course online. I know sometimes this can be such a controversial topic, but I know you are just the guy to tackle it with us. So, Steve, let's start off here. How long have you been teaching A&P? I've been teaching A&P for uh, over 15 years now. I started in January of 2002. Well, I know uh, since 2002, you have really been one of the leaders in all of the market about teaching A&P online. So how long have you been teaching the Anatomy and Physiology course at Box online? Well, I started teaching it as a hybrid in 2005. And I took it fully online in the fall of 2008. So we're looking at almost 10 years. Wow. that It seems like yesterday because I remember when you first started teaching online, uh, what a great transition. You know, When you look at all the different changes that have happened from then to now, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing the, the tools that are available now that I didn't have back then. And, uh, and and the evolution of my course from then to now is uh, is quite uh, quite impressive. Now we'll talk later a little bit more about some of the specific tools that you might recommend to people. But let's start off with like, what are some of your instructional goals that you have when you teach A and P online? Well, what I would like to do is to make sure that I can reach the students in a way that is uh, easy for them to to tackle so that they can get the material explained to them in a way that's going to be effective. Um, I don't want them to be completely lost with no way to get clarification or to ask me questions like you would have in a traditional classroom. So I really try to make sure that I provide the students with the materials in a way that is going to really foster successful learning for them. Um, in addition, because it is online A&P, I do like to make sure that I have really high-quality lab simulations so that they're still getting a really good uh, lab experience, even though it's not a hands-on wet lab. 
Absolutely. And I was going to ask you, we might as well go right there, right out of the gate. What is the biggest challenge when you take an AP course, it's either hybrid or traditionally a face-to-face. Now you want to take that fully online. What is the biggest challenge there? Well, the biggest challenge is, is obviously the lab, right? So that's the big resistance for AP online is it is a lab course for lab sciences online in general. People are really kind of uh, resistant because they don't know how they're going to replace the lab component. And we all had traditional wet labs when we were in school, and a lot of us really can't think of anything that could possibly replace that. Um, but that, that, has been the, that has been the biggest challenge. A um, couple things like collaboration between students or discussions, you know, those things are a little challenging as well. But but obviously, um, the lab, the lab, making the lab a quality experience for the students that they can learn from is uh, the biggest challenge. Well, I remember, Steve, you know, back in the days when we were developing lab simulations for online delivery, we would have um, faculty from all over the country and we would talk about lab simulations and doing them online and we got a really volatile response sometimes just because of exactly what you just said where they're used to you know they were trained as a a face-to-face scenario and they really like that tactile aspect of learning now i'm kind of envisioning you have your department chairs in a meeting with you um, or your committee and i imagine this happened at box and the committee chair is saying we want to take our courses online. We want to move all of our science courses online to appeal to a wider audience. Walk me through, like, how does that get socialized within the the faculty committee there? Well, what happened with with me is that um, it is very, very much like the way you said it. Um, I had, I was doing a lot of digital work in my face-to-face classes, and my department dean recognized that and said, hey, could you do this as a hybrid? And I figured that out and we did it. And then three years later or two years later, um, she said, we would like you to take this completely online and see what we can do with it. Um, I was a little resistant at first. Um, so, so yeah, you definitely have that. This is a long time ago. And, and I, and I wasn't sure how we could do it without the, the face-to-face lab, but I told her to give me a year to research the tools that are out there and available and I will do the best I can to come up with something and we'll see if it works. And um, there's a little bit of resistance among my fellow faculty members in the beginning, but, but I think I did a really good job with it. I think I put a lot of care and effort into making sure it was high quality. I did not want to phone it in. Um, and I think when everybody saw what was being put together for students and what students were getting out of it, um, people really, um, they really, uh, were impressed with it and they, they really lost their reservations about it after they saw what, what can be done. Awesome. Well, what's the implication for you now instructionally, you know, as a professor at Box, now that you're teaching online, what has that done for you? Uh, well, honestly, it's made me much better teaching face-to-face, believe it or not, because out of necessity for the online students, I've been able to put together really, really good digital tools to help my face-to-face students learning as well. So whereas I, I was 
not as as motivated to find good digital learning resources for my face-to-face students because they were in class. Um, finding them from my online students made me realize that um, there's no reason why the face-to-face students can't use these also. So um, that was one of the great things for me is it really motivated me to find digital learning resources for all of my students, not just online students. Um, So that's a really nice thing as well. For me personally, uh, it has allowed me to work from home more. I don't have to be in my office or on campus as much as I used to be. So in my personal life, it means that I'm available to pick my kids up from school every day because I don't have to be on campus as much as I used to be, uh, which is great for me personally. Um, You do still do a lot of work for the online classes, obviously, but um, you do them on your schedule and maybe you can do them from home. So so it freed up a lot of time for me um, to be be home more often with my uh, two young kids. Now, if you had a preference today, whether you teach only online or hybrid or face-to-face, what would your preference be, knowing what you know now? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'll, to be totally honest with you, I wouldn't want to teach in only one format at all. So uh, it would be hard to say what my preference would be because while I like, I really like how much time I am freed up by teaching online, um, I always teach face-to-face classes every semester um, because I also love being in the classroom. And and the, the thing that I recognized pretty quickly is that when people ask me what's better, online or face-to-face, um, I don't think there's an answer to that. I think that there are some students who work well in the online environment. There are some students who work much better in the face-to-face environment. Um, and I wouldn't even dream of of only offering one and having the hubris for me to say, this is the best one, so that's all I'm going to give my students. Um, I like to really offer all of the um, formats so that um, the students can choose the section that they feel will work best for them as a student. Steve, that's excellent. So that'd probably be a best practice that you would suggest to folks that are listening here today is that if you have a choice, you know, if you have one foot and maybe two, you know, maybe the online piece and a a face-to-face or an online and a hybrid, that's probably going to keep your skills the the freshest, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And I think, too, the depth of experience that you have just in those different interactions and and the methods has got to be really helpful because when you're in the face-to-face setting, you can really see and connect with the students, Uh, whereas in the online uh, delivery, it's kind of challenging that way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely uh, challenging in the the online environment. Um, One of the things I do with my um, online classes is I record all of my lectures using Integrity. So oh, nice. I do a, uh, a screen recording so it, so you can see everything that happens on my computer screen, my PowerPoints, key, keynote, keynote presentations, etc. And then I also ink on that. So I use a tablet so I can ink on that. And then I have the audio set up so it records everything in the room. So any 
any impromptu discussions that rise up in my face-to-face class um, gets recorded in streams to my online students later that day. Oh, that's pretty sweet. What are some of the other tools that you recommend people start with? Um, I think one of the best things you can start with outside of your own learning management system, obviously, to deliver your syllabus and have all your administrative things taken care of, um, I would say SmartBook. Uh, I use I use uh, McGraw-Hill textbook in my class, and, and it comes with SmartBook, which is the adaptive learning reading experience. Um, so with SmartBook, what I can do, especially with online students, is make sure my students are reading the chapters I assign. Um, it's really easy to set up. It takes very little effort on my part. I can give it a due date. I can say I want Chapter 2 read by Sunday night. And because SmartBook uh, asks the students questions throughout the chapter and delivers learning resources to help them understand better when they're not answering questions well, it adapts to the student's level of understanding. So not only can I hold my students accountable for doing the reading, I can actually hold my students accountable for understanding the reading. So I know that the students got the baseline knowledge they needed from that reading so we can move on with the higher level critical thinking and problem solving type stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I was going to mention, too, to the listeners that we also have a few videos that Steve has done on SmartBook and using the reports with SmartBook that we'll make available in the show notes and the online links that we'll have uh, for you later. But that's awesome. So SmartBook, you mentioned Tegrity. Are there any other resources outside of the learning management system that you recommend that folks use? Uh, Well, definitely Anatomy and Physiology Revealed. Um, This is the single best cadaver dissection simulation that you can find. Um, For an online anatomy and physiology course, it is imperative to have a good dissection replacement for your class. So with anatomy and physiology revealed, you don't just get pictures of anatomy specimens. You actually get to virtually dissect a human cadaver. So what that means is that the students can actually go through and get some good perspective. What layer is this at? How deep is this particular anatomical structure? Here's a whole lot of information. They can do research in there. Uh, You can send them on a scavenger hunt-like activity where students are going in and looking for anatomical structures and spaces that are on your structure list. Um, it's, It's a really, really good tool. I mean, good I mean, good's not even a strong enough word. It is the best tool that I've found, and I've looked at a lot of them, for really making sure the students get a good anatomy experience with humans. So so that's a that's that's a tool that you, you cannot um, put a high enough value on is anatomy and physiology revealed. So so that that's a big one. And then also um, I use Learn Smart Labs for my physiology lab simulation as well. Um, a good physiology lab simulator can give them the physiology part of the lab. We, we try to do as much as we can on it as well. So, again, lab, being able to, to replace the lab in an online class with good, high-quality simulations is, uh, is extremely important. 
Yeah, and that's awesome. I was going to mention, too, for the listeners, that's how I first met Steve, was he was using our Anatomy and Physiology Revealed, and it's another byproduct that you will enjoy when you teach online is being able to give feedback. Um, obviously, because of the delivery mechanism, you're really going to be using tools a lot differently and more intensely than maybe you will sometimes in a face-to-face or even in a hybrid class. So it's kind of a cool byproduct to that. And I remember, Steve, the early days when you were using Anatomy and Physiology Revealed that was on a DVD and a bunch of CDs. And now we're, we're miles ahead of that with the yeah. customization and all the other things. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool, four, it's fun. Four different discs. Yep. Yeah, I've used four different discs. And now you can get the whole thing on your iPad. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it just, uh, it's, a different, it's a different world now than it was in 2004. Oh, yeah. And I even think about like the customization aspect of it, whether you're customizing to a book, um, just doing it from scratch. But that element, too, is another way that I know you've enjoyed a lot of success in customizing the product for your students. Yeah, well, I mean, we all know that there's a ton to cover in anatomy and physiology, and we barely scratch the surface in our A&P courses. So... You have a product that comes from a medical school, and there's there's you know 35 to 3600 or so anatomical structures covered, and we just don't do that many. So um, we don't want to overwhelm our students with material that they're not going to need. So being able to customize it, um, we've been able to do that for a few years now, many years actually, and and that has made a huge difference. And the online aspect of APR, the fact that it can be online now means that we can just um, we can just deselect all the structures, all the things we don't cover, all the all the small deep muscles that we don't really cover in an A and P one or two class. We can just knock those out and we're not students not have to worry about getting those. And then not only that, but in Connect, there's so many questions from the APR program, like uh, like a bunch of uh, late cadaver labeling questions and um, higher level questions that are all based in the AP, from the APR program. I think there's like a thousand of them or so. Um, you can make really good assessments based on APR. So you can really turn it into a good assignment that you can give your students quizzes on to make sure that they're getting it. Um, and I use it as much for my face-to-face students as I do for my online students because I don't have a cadaver uh, lab in my school. So when I want my students to get a real good human perspective, from my human A&P class, I use APR um, in addition to my dissection specimens. Yes, yeah, Steve, that's excellent. And I know you do a lot of workshops, whether it be online, you do physical workshops on campus, also through the HAPS organization. So I know that's something that you'll be plenty busy with here throughout the fall and then even uh, the spring of next year. But if I were to ask you, you know, maybe one or two closing questions here, if you were going to give any faculty member out there one bit of advice on taking the course online, and maybe they're brand new, they've never done it before, what would you tell them? Um, I would say to to, uh, start small. Uh, don't feel like you've got to throw the kitchen sink at these students because you don't. Um, th- there's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of help in terms of taking your course online. I've got some videos I've made on, on what I've done to take my course online. Um, get get as much um, help as you can from people who've been doing it because that will show you some things that you might not have thought of, and it will also show you some things that you probably 
don't want to do, and you'll see that right off the bat, things to avoid. But, um, but do that, and then with, as far as the learning tools go, start small. Um, you know, like SmartBook, give a SmartBook assignment for every chapter. Make sure they're reading the text. Make sure that they are getting that baseline information. Um, that is probably what I would say is, is uh, the best thing to do in the beginning. Um, but make sure also that you are available for your students. Answer emails quickly. Make yourself available. I use uh, Skype uh, to, to conference with my students. Skype has a screen share component, so you can bring up um, illustrations that you might want to show them, or you can put your PowerPoint up on the screen. Be available for your students. Uh, some of them take the online course because they just they just can't fit the other course into their schedule, and it might not be 100% for them. So be there to, to really help them out. Um, try not to think of being teaching online as not having to teach because that's really not how it should work. You really should still be teaching. And, um, and so making yourself available to your students is the best way to ensure that. But as far as digital tools goes, um, you know, jumping in with SmartBook is a great way to do it. If you're using um, a book from McGraw-Hill like I do, ask your rep if, you, if there's a library course available that someone has already put together so you can have a good shell template to go with homework assignments and reading assignments already ready to go so you just have to tweak it. Um, that's a great way to get started as well. That's great advice. And two, Steve's got a nice video that he has prepared uh, that we'll be posting here shortly that'll talk about how do you take your online course or your NEP course, move it online. It's a really nice uh, discussion about the philosophies you should adhere to or, or suggested ones. Uh, Steve also talks about proctoring, uh, some other things about just some practical things you need to do and how he uses the McGraw-Hill software to take his course online. I think you'll get a lot out of that, so that'll be posted for you as well. Steve, I'm going to give you one last, this is going to be a tough question, but let's say if um, I'm the faculty member and I start teaching online here, and now I'm starting to hear the, the whispers and the voices from my colleagues, and let's say it's not necessarily real positive, meaning they're questioning how I could be going down the online path when really we should be a face-to-face -face department. What advice would you give me you know, as that faculty member? Um, well, I know it's a honestly, tough one. what I would say is, what's that? I know it's a tough one. It is, it is a tough one, but... Um, So the best defense against that is to put together an extremely high-quality course. Um, make sure your exams are proctored, uh, and that will really that will really uh, subdue some of your critics if your exams are proctored and they're worth a lot. My my course, the grade in my course is is eighty-five uh, percent from proctored exams. So make sure you've got that down and that they know that these students aren't just taking their tests at home and who knows what's going on. Um, the other thing would be to just make the best course you can. Um, really deliver learning resources to your students. Really be there for your students. Um, really make sure that, that they're getting a good digital lab component. And then 
invite your colleagues to come sit down with you so you can show them what your students are doing. Um, that's correct. It's happened to me, and, and, and that's what I've done. There was at one point in time, this was years ago, one of the local universities that we sent a lot of transfer students into um, decided to no longer accept the credits from my online A&P course into their program, and one of the students complained and, and asked if I would talk to them. And I got all of the deans of that college to sit down for a presentation, and I showed them exactly what my course entailed. And after that meeting, they voted unanimously to accept the credit from the course. So the best defense is to be the best that you can be. I know that sounds cliche, yeah, but yeah. Um, do it do it right. That's great advice. Do it right, and um, and then uh, your critics will start to quiet down. Yep, and we all know, and anything that we do all of us as professionals, you're always going to have a critic or two out there. I wouldn't get rattled by that. Do exactly what Steve had mentioned. And I think too, you would probably admit this too, Steve, that teaching online is a highly fluid situation and you're really never going to be perfect. You probably wouldn't be that way in in a face-to-face or hybrid course either. Um, So I guess just being confident, you know, sticking to your guns and then really you know, expressing that you have the best foot forward that you have and you're always looking for feedback and you're trying to improve it. It's just great advice. So thanks for sharing yeah. that, Steve. Uh, and, and, and yeah, and make sure, make sure your course evolves. When stuff isn't working, cut it. Yeah. Find something new. Now that's another, um, you know, go to, go to, go to a apps conference. You know, that's another thing. Go to a apps conference and, and see what everybody else is doing. Go to the workshops. I've learned a tremendous amount from my apps colleagues, uh, things I never thought to try before or things that I was doing that I realized were not very sound, and, and then I, and I, I bagged them. But uh, you learn a lot from, from colleagues and, um, and doing that. There's great conferences out there. The league has good ones. HAPS has good ones. There's a new one, one I just found out about called the International Society for Technology and Education. That's another one I'm going to start looking into going to and seeing how people in other disciplines are doing it. Maybe there's some things that we haven't thought of. Um, just be open to to getting out there and, and learning how to do it. Another great set of advice there, Steve. Thanks for sharing that. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you real quick, and this is a, an interesting thing to me anyway, how soon do you make the assessment of whether you want to cut something from your course or not? Is it a term? Is it a full year? How will you make that decision, or how would you recommend people make that decision? You know, to scrap. I usually let it go um, two or three semesters before I'll try to assess if I thought this was valuable. How the students felt about it? Um, did they get anything out of it? Did their Did I give them this learning resource? Did they Did the exam grades change at all after they got this new learning resource? Um, you know, things like that. So I'll look and see if there's any kind of result. I had, I'll give you an example. I had a, um, I had a discussion board uh, situation and and I I wanted to have more discussions in my class. And so I made some discussion boards and uh, I let it run for two or three semesters. And until I realized that, um, it wasn't really having any kind of positive effect on their grades with anything. Most of the students were just copying each other's discussion posts and 
Um, it just really wasn't right. And, and it's not, and, and I, and I did, I did get rid of it, but I'm open to trying it again. I think maybe the problem is the problem could have been me. Maybe I wasn't asking the right questions. Maybe I wasn't prompting the right discussions. So, so I'm, I'm now actively researching better ways to do online discussion and or collaboration. So, so that, that's something, and, and I, from the very first semester, I thought, well, this isn't really working, but I let it go because again, with my class, with my school, 24 students in a section, really small sample, you could have good, good and bad semesters. So I gave it a, a few, maybe three semesters before I decided that it was, it was kind of wasting uh, the time of the students. And mine, because I was reading all these discussions that really weren't valuable. So, you know, my time was better was better spent with other things. Steve, I love that. So one of my really good friends talks a lot about how you walk around a scenario or a problem or a situation. And that little circle that I envision when we do that, um, you do the same thing when you're looking at getting student feedback, also doing self-reflection to figure out, you know, is it something you're doing instructionally? And then I think timing's got to be another element, too, where, you know, maybe the timing for which you're uh, throwing something at the students and really going down that path, that could have some impact, too. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Steve, I know I've kept you a long time, and I really appreciate all your insights today about taking the AP course and moving it online. Uh, really helpful. Is there anything that you'd like to say in parting here to the rest of the audience? Uh, well, first, uh, Jim, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to answer some questions and talk to the people out there who are looking to do this. Um, I've had a great relationship with, with McGraw-Hill using their materials, and um, I will let let out your listeners out there know that that uh, people at McGraw Hill, especially in the AP in the AP region, um, they they really do care about providing good quality learning resources for our students. So you can you can do a lot worse by reaching out to um, someone from McGraw Hill to really help get you started. Uh, I can't I can't uh, say that enough. Um, and um, but uh, yeah, last thing is is you know if you're looking to to go online, um, some people are doing it by necessity. Don't be scared. Just go ahead and do it. Just uh, you know, make sure that you look for help and make sure you find out the best things you can find out, and um, and just go do it and listen to your students. You know, give them the best you can. Good luck. Yeah, that's awesome, Steve. And again, I want to thank you for being such a, a great guy. Um, you're awesome. Your students are lucky to have you. The community is lucky to have you. Really thoughtful insight today and uh, really looking forward to having more conversations with you because we're not done here. We have plenty of other things to discuss as we roll on to other podcasts. And I'll also mention, too, for the listeners, if there's anything you'd like to hear from us uh, either myself or Steve or anyone else in the community, feel free to uh, send us an email. There'll be some details on that later. And uh, we just hope that you guys all have a great and wonderful day. All right. So, yeah, that was certainly a fun session with Steve Sullivan. And now I want to thank you for listening to Succeed in AMP. And we would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future podcasts. So feel free to email me at james.connelly at mheducation.com. And also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. And this podcast was brought to you by McGraw-Hill Education, the leader in learning science. 
Our goal is to unlock the potential of every student. Our mission is to accelerate learning through intuitive, engaging, and efficient and effective experiences that are grounded in research. McGraw-Hill Education's Anatomy and Physiology is your trusted, data-driven partner in A&P education. Again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, have a great day. And remember, it is a wonderful day to teach A&P, and we're going to talk to you soon on Succeed in A&P.